letter or epistle to Timothy, starting uh, at verse 8. So chapter 1, verse 8, and we're going to be going through uh, to verse 12. So um, if you guys would stand, let's all read together, and then we'll get going here. Sound good? All right, here we go. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But now... Uh, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Lord, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow, I'm just reading into this, huh? Uh, Who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time this morning. We pray that you would minister to us, Lord, through your word, by your spirit. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Touch our hearts, Lord. Change us where we need to be changed. And give us... um, Lord, the, the courage to follow you, Lord, the understanding of how good you are, and we would leave the past behind, leave our old life behind, and, and become reconciled with you in every aspect, that our minds would be changed where they need to be changed, and help us to, uh, to seek you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. So, quick reminder, this is Paul's, like I said, second letter to Timothy. This is the last letter that Paul wrote, and he does not think he's going to make it very much longer. He thinks this is probably the end for him. He's been imprisoned again in Rome, and it it was especially bleak this time. Um, And so he's writing to Timothy to encourage him. He's also writing to him to encourage him to come see him. He's like, I need to see you, man. Come see me. And he's like, also bring me a coat. You know, I mean, these are real letters, right? (laughs) You're like, please bring me my jacket because, uh, you know, he had to be taken care of. And so Timothy is Paul's young protege, his son in the faith, uh, and he is uh, ministering in Ephesus. Ephesus was a well-known city. God had done an amazing work, but weird religious stuff had come in and started to suck the life out of the church. And so Timothy, this mild-mannered, timid guy, was called to stand firm, to preach the good news of the gospel, to teach doctrine, and to uh, correct things that are off. So that's kind of the background of Paul and Timothy's relationship. Um, and and last week we saw in, in verse 7, Timothy was reminded he, he has not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And we mentioned last week that God did not create, so God created mankind as an offense, an act of war against the enemy, against Satan, against his ways. And so this is a further, uh, this, that's, this tells us who we are and how we're to operate. And so, so many Christians are living on the defense where we think, oh, everyone's out to get us, which makes the escapist mindset uh, prominent. Or, well, we better figure out and, you know, get everybody on our side and, and do this by force. 
No, he says, everywhere you go, you're going to be my ambassadors. You're going to be my outposts for the kingdom of God. And so I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Therefore, so with that in mind, therefore, verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to... according to the power of God. Because of the spirit of power and love and sound mind, recognize the power of the gospel. Recognize the power of the gospel. And we have to be reminded of this over and over again. That's why we see it come up over and over again throughout the letters. We've got to be reminded that this is where the power lies. Because we live in a world that does not seem to be the way we garnish power the way we get things done it's much easier to use manipulation or judgment or you know all these different things that we could use or or power and force no but the gospel is the power right we're reminded romans 1 16 a verse we're going to quote often for i'm not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god to salvation for everyone who believes for the jew first and also for the Greek. No fear, but submitting to the power of God. And, and, and then he's going to say, being willing to suffer for this message. You're not going to be willing to suffer for something you don't believe in. And so we've got to all have a, uh, it, be steadfast and, and sure in our hearts that we stand on the foundation of the good news of the gospel. What better way to get there, but to experience it for yourself. I think that Part of the issue is there's probably a lot of people who say they're Christians that are not regenerate, regenerated believers. That the power of the gospel has not taken shape and hold in their life. And so they're like, I said I, said I accepted Jesus at a crusade. I raised my hand. I said the sinner's prayer. You know, I've mentioned that when I accepted the Lord and after high school, I said the sinner's prayer like 15 times. Pretty much every time somebody would offer it up, I was like, better to be safe than sorry, right? But the real proof is in the pudding when your life has changed. And all of a sudden you start thinking differently. You start seeing things differently. You start acting differently. The fruits of your life change. And this is the sign and the symbol that something is taking place and shape and form in you. And so now all of a sudden you don't, aren't given the spirit of fear. And you learn you can stay, say no in the power of the gospel to the sin and death that once held us. Right? And so we need to be reminded of that. You are no longer enslaved to the chains that you once were. Will you continue on with the sin nature? Yes. But you are no longer completely enslaved to sin. Why do we say this every week? Because we are so quick to forget it. Ah, I'm just, that's just the way I am. How often do we do that? That's just the way I am. Sorry, this is who you married. You knew what you were getting into. And your spouse is like, well, I was anticipating some sort of growth. There had to be some sort of curve of growth here. I mean, I wasn't expecting, you know, everything to come out perfectly, but I was expecting to see some sort of a tick in the right direction. We're regressing, hun. We're regressing, you know. 
But, but how often we get stuck in those places and God's like, I want to take those things that you think are your identity and I want to shed my light, the good news of the gospel that says this is not who you are anymore. You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who now lives in you. And so everything you do now is going to be based on this new understanding. This is how we really understand repentance. To understand who we are, whose we are, and how that affects the things that we come across in our daily life. I'll just always be this. Well, you could be, or you could not be. You could move on. You could grow. You could set up guardrails in your life and then you could you could go to the Lord and pray and you can ask for help and you could seek the help of the people around you your church your body your fellowship your your brothers and sisters in Christ and move on what I'm saying is we don't have to be a victim to a lot of things we're a victim to but we have been called to the gospel that has power to change and if we don't feel or sense any change in our life, if we're not experiencing change, there is no way we're going to suffer for this because we're not even willing to enjoy the fruits of that, of the good fruits. There's no way you're going to suffer for Christ. See, a lot of this letter has to do with these believers that had walked away from Paul and, and distanced themselves from him, distanced themselves from the gospel because the heat got turned up a little bit too hard or too high. And they bailed. And so he's like reminding Timothy, Timothy, don't bail. Don't forget the power of the gospel. So he says, what does he say? Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, uh, nor of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of me. Like, don't be ashamed of me because you don't see me doing too well. Like, continue to remember who I am. Remember, he's, and he's going to state it again. He's an apostle. He's a teacher. But he's been beat up. He's gone through a lot. You know, there's something about when you see someone, when they're big and they're strong, and you go, yes. I, I, I want to go with that person. I trust that person. I feel safe around those people, you know. But then when you see, you wither away, and then it's like, that. all of a sudden, that's not there anymore. So there's got to be something else. These people were acting like very fair weather, okay? So he says, or me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And this is not just Paul's take. Jesus said this is going to happen. You can expect suffering in your life. You can expect that if they hated you, they're going to hate me, Right? And so we're expecting God to do all these amazing things for us and in us. Like, God, I, I followed you. Now everything's going to all make all this perfect sense. And, and, and I, I, you know, all of a sudden my spouse is going to, you know, make all my dreams come true. And, or my work is going to be so fulfilled or all of these different things. And you find you're going to have to deal with very real things still. And, and then you remember, what did Jesus actually call me to do? To take up my cross and to follow him. To bid us come and die. And you're like, this is a great message. I'm so happy I'm here this morning. But it's important to understand why we're here and what's the purpose. See, if you can understand suffering, you could see it in the lives of, of Jesus' disciples. As they suffer, they feel closer to Christ. As I'm suffering for Christ, I'm thinking, man, I am so blessed to be worthy of being counted with Christ and experience the sufferings he's experiencing. There's something about this. 
was listening to a message by Pastor Roy, Roy, uh, Roy Ortland on this. And he says, I believe every senior pastor, this don't hate me for this because I should have played high school football. That's what he said. He says, because I believe that you don't understand suffering in a, ne- in a positive light until you play high school football. Like you don't under, well, maybe you did, if the way you brought up, you know, everybody's got their own things. But this is a way of making boys into men. I know that's not pos- popular in the culture. Maybe you're like, I don't like football. I don't, you know, that's fine. Whatever, pick something else that's, that's like this. But he says, I think it, it, there's something about learning to suffer and battle and strive for a greater good and a greater cause. That we are now aligned with the saints of old. We are carrying about the message. This is our time in history to hold the message and hold the line. And we love reading about men like Stephen who could look death in the eye and see the angels. Who could say, forgive them even as they're killing him. You know, the the actual, you know, how much suffering are we really dealing with here in the U.S. or, or how much persecution? It's low on the scale. Really low. I mean, it's like, do a little research, you'll see. I mean, it's gnarly in other countries. And it has been since from the beginning of the church on, right? But there's something about suffering and understanding the glory that comes through the suffering. I remember we were playing in one of the playoff games uh, my senior year, and I played defensive end on one side. This guy played defensive end on the other side. And I remember he came running off the field, and he's like, ah, oh, come on, come on. And his finger was pointing the wrong direction. <laughs> It's just not good. There's just something about that. I don't like that. I don't like that. And I remember he just was like, pop it back in. This is the 90s, so you could still do this kind of stuff. Pop, boom, put it back in. Taped it up. Kept playing the rest of the game with a club on his hand. Actually works out to your advantage, you know. But he ended up, he continued playing. And, and, and it was vital because he was really, really good. He sealed off a whole end over there. And what do we do without him? Hey, does he have every reason to bow out? Absolutely. I mean, you may have heard the story of Ronnie Lott. I don't know if it's fiction or if it's true. I think it's true that he cut off his finger to play in a football game. Don't do that, okay? There's a certain point where we're taking it a little bit too far. But there's something about being willing to suffer and having that in your mind where we're no, we are not slaves, not just to sin, not just to uh, death, but slaves to comfort, which is the major, I feel like, stronghold of where we're living right now. Comfort. So God's like, hey, you follow me. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be with you the whole way. Uh, You're going to see so many things in your life. You're going to actually be fulfilled. You'll probably sleep uh, at night because you'll be tired. And it's going to be extremely difficult. But we, we like difficult things, if we're really honest. Why do people run marathons? Explain this to me. The original story is what, the guy ran 26 miles and then died? Come on. Let, you know what, I'm going to sign up for one of those. You know, it's half marathon. I'll be half dead. You'll be able to keep some of your toenails, right? But we sign up for this because there's something about striving and going. Ugh. Why, when I'm riding my mountain bike, do I want to sprint up the last part of the hill when I'm just dead? Because the glory As soon as I get to the top, I'm going to feel so good. And the more tired I am, it's like the better I feel. So this is is the the weird, like, 
polar opposite view of the world that we think we need. I need people to serve me. I need people to keep me comfortable. I need this room to be 72 degrees. No, we were made for a lot more than that. And so uh, to understand that is important. Share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Okay? So uh, not fear, but submit to the power of God, being willing to suffer. So when, if suffering is present, you, there's no fear. God is with you. Don't worry, he's got you. Paul should have died a lot of times. I mean, he really should have. And he continued on. And what do we do? What is the legacy of Paul? What do we look back on? And we got to think about that kind of stuff. What's your legacy? It's like, is, is all that you're looking for longevity or is it legacy? I want to live for Christ. I want people to like look back and say that that man furthered the kingdom for Christ. Not about you, about him, but using what you have to your advantage. So there's, uh, there's no fear, right? But we submit to the power uh, of God. So Paul, the prisoner, we see the power and love. It's not getting scattered by fear. Again, fear breeds chaos, and chaos leads to easy pickings, right? You guys see this. This is what lions do. What do they do when they see like a herd of wildebeests or something? They attack the herd. What happens? They all go nuts. And what the lion is hoping for is that they don't stay together and they don't stay on mission. The lion is hoping a couple of them go to the side on their own. And that because they're so scared, their brain checks out and they just go off to the side. And as soon as that happens, it's, it's a wrap. We've watched National Geographic's, right? As soon as they get them peeled off, because as long as they're together, they're powerful. There's a, there's a might in that unit. But as soon as they get one of them off to the side, they're toast. So not fear, but power of the gospel. Not fear, but love. Paul says, continue to love me. <laughs> like, don't forget about me. Because I think a lot of times, I think people were probably scared to be around Paul because they were like, could this happen to me? Could this be my plight? And it's like a thing in ministry. I, 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 it's like I sat there with a bunch of my pastor friends, and they, it's like everybody's just always going through it. And you're like, are we sure we want to be in ministry? And, and it's, it, it's uh, somewhat of a good question. You know, I've, like I said, I have a couple of friends who've, who have gone after the sex trafficking world and the demonic forces that have gone after their life has been like insane insane and they're like do we want to do this god has called us into this no fear but but power no fear but love uh and a sound mind remember this satan is another word we use this to describe satan is the chaos monster he just brings chaos right god brings life satan brings chaos god brings order god brings life satan brings chaos um, and office often his chaos is established in fear fear makes you do stupid things we were skating when i was in high school at redlands high and uh and i remember like when the security guards came over i think we probably thought that these people were like on the swat team they were riding like a 
Magna 10 speed, you know. I think we were probably okay. But my friends took off, and we were all taking off, and they were flying, and they all went across the street without looking. Cars almost hit them, and they made it to the other side. I was newer to skating, and I thought, I'm not going to outrun this guy right now on his bike. So I was like, hey, man, are we not supposed to skate here? So, okay, yeah, of course. You know all the signs that say don't? Um, but he's like, tell your friends they're so dumb, they almost got hit by cars trying to get away from me. That's like fear, right? It's like, it's so irrational. The guy's going to tell you not to skate here or die by getting hit by a car. That's kind of like the way we see things. Anyway, verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Check this out. Have we respond? If you've responded to the Lord, you are responding to a call. God gives a call to your life. So let this, if, if you are, haven't for, have never been told this, let this be your moment of um, empowering. You have been given a calling. If he saved you, he saved you for a purpose. You have a calling, right? He saved us and called us with a holy calling. So it's not just any calling, it's a holy calling. What does that mean? It's a sanctified calling. It's a calling that will bring glory and honor to God. What does that look like? Every single one of you has to be in full-time ministry and work at a church. Nope, absolutely not. See, that's what everybody thinks. If I if respond to the call of God, I think I have to work at a church, and I don't want to do that. You're like, well, no, that's absolutely, that's a small part of it. What the, actually the church is for is to help those others to realize their calling and then to equip them to do the ministry. Everyone has a calling in a unique space, wherever it is. One of my favorite things is to see things well done, art, beauty, you know, when people make things look good, even architecture, right? It's like there's something about that. It's a created, created person Created to create in beauty and bring something better to the world around us. You know, I love my children's artwork. It's in my office. They make, it's like another unicorn. I love it. You know, so many unicorns. I love it. It's great. This is, it brings something to me. But what about when you use your gifting and your calling that you thought was only secular for the glory of God? Whatever he has given you a burning, passionate desire to do, you need to do that. You need to find a way to do that. And if you don't know what it is, ask him. What are the things you feel the most alive doing? And how do you use it for the glory of God? How do you do that? I mean, I think even, even making the world a more beautiful place or offering really good food at a reasonable price or all, that, that is bringing glory to God because we're making the world a place that's better and then being a light that shines wherever you're at. You've been called with a holy calling. And remember, it's not according to our works. It's nothing you did. He's called you, which means he's the one that's going to continue to take you through. If he's called you to it, he'll empower you to do the thing he's called you to do, which is very good news. Because sometimes we bite off more than we can chew, right? Usually it's like the clean the garage project. And everything is out of your garage, and you're like, how is there so much stuff? And then all of a sudden it's getting dark, and you're like, now what? It's all out here. 
let's throw some tarps. We're going to have some tarps. It's going to be shanty city out here, you know, until tomorrow morning where we got the, you know, all piled up. No, it's because we can do that. We can get ourselves into things we can't finish. But if God has called you to something, he is looking for ways to equip you to do it. So submit yourself to, to growing in the calling and purpose he's called you to do. Since, and, and you know what's interesting here? He says, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to Christ, uh, given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Your calling will only be met in Christ. That's the other part. You're created in Christ because you've got to be redeemed to be able to unlock this calling. So you'll find people that have gifts or talents or natural abilities that are given by God, but it's not actually going into their calling until it's in Christ. And then look at this. Remember this, that it was in Christ before time began. It's like, do you want to feel valuable? This should make you feel really, really valuable. Because if Jesus has called you, and you know he's called you, and you've sensed his calling on your life, that this, he's been thinking about you since before time began. That's wild. And then what do you do with that calling? I think that something that was thought of before time began is something pretty important for us to actually walk in, isn't it? And tell me, this doesn't excite every one of us. It should. It should excite every one of us because it's something specifically meant for you. Will it take work? Absolutely. Will you need discipline? Absolutely. Will it be fulfilling like nothing else you've ever done in your entire life? I think that's kind of what was the whole purpose, uh, even the garden. You know, it's interesting. If you look at the, the garden, um, when God gives us the Garden of Eden, and it's this beautiful place uh, uh, where sin is not entered in, um, where there's relationship with God and man. But what does God tell Adam to do in the garden? It's to rule and subdue. It's to cultivate the land. What does that mean? It needs work. That means that there's something Adam has to do, right? And so you cultivate it. You make things better. I don't know. Are you grateful for running water? Yes. That's cultivating the land. That's using what God's given you. What about finding, ladies, you got those bling, bling diamonds? What do you, you know, where's that come from? You find it's cultivating the land. Finding out what we can do. I have an apple tree. Well, I make an apple orchard and I can feed everybody. Cultivating the land. What do we do with what's at our disposal? Because you know what the future is? You know what it, the, the kingdom looks like? Uh, you know, post, end, uh, end of this age. You know, the new, uh, you know, eternity. What does it look like? Does anybody know? Is it a garden or what is it? It's a city. Isn't that wild? If you look at the dimensions, it's nuts. It's like this giant, like, cube. What? <laughs> but it's like a city. What does that mean? I think it's, it means it's cultivated. I think the final product is a cultivated version of the garden. Everything the way it's supposed to be. I think it's cultivated version of the garden and this world minus all the sin junk. Isn't that wild? So the things you do absolutely matter. And so we shouldn't be like, you know, careless about all these things. I have an iPad right here. Where did that come from? Not my mind. And even if it did come from my mind, I would still be so needing many people to make it happen. 
God calls all of us to be part of that, to bring good to the world. You know, most of the hospitals um, hundreds, you know, 100 plus years ago were set up by what? Christians. That's cultivating. That's, that's using what God has given you for the glory of his kingdom. That's people using their calling to do practical things. So I think the church needs a return to this. Because we think, oh, it's all about the big events. It's all about this. It's all about that. We come to church to be built up, to be growing, and to figure out how we better use to be equipped for the ministry what God has called us to from the beginning of time. How we could be his workmanship created to do good works. You guys get it? That makes me really excited. Because I think about that. Because I feel like when I started speaking, I felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, because kids got it. They're like, I've never heard that. I, I didn't understand it. Now I feel like I get it. And I'm like, I want to do this with my life. So I feel like that's something. Um, admin, no. Have to. <laughs> Hate it so much, you know. For you admin people, God bless you, you boring souls. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You are awesome, and we need you so much in our lives. Verse 10 but has now been revealed by the appearing of the Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Our calling is in Christ. Our calling is in Christ now. We're free from sin and death, the reign of sin and death, and the gospel is God's response to and victory over sin and death. Right? So Jesus... He, he just defeated death by rising again. He defeated sin by taking it all on and sacrificing himself for it. So death no longer has the reign it once had. I don't like the idea of people saying, you shouldn't even feel death. Every death should just be joy. Every single death should just be, hey, it's not a funeral, it's a celebration, you know. I don't think that's true to some extent. I mean, I think we don't, because the Bible says, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. It doesn't mean we don't mourn. It's very clear we do mourn. So it's important to understand when someone in your family, you lose someone in your family, it's important to mourn them and not to act like nothing happened, right? But the, but the sting of death is lightened because we know this is not the end. So that's the, the difference. The reign of sin and death has changed. Sin is still present, and it can still cause a lot of problems, but it's no longer holding the key to our life. We just give it. Give him the chance. We hand the key occasionally. And we're going to have to deal with that, the ability to do that, and the temptation to do that for the rest of our life. But it no longer holds the key on you. Same thing with death. We will deal with death. And death sucks. I mean, I think death is always supposed to hurt. I really do. Even when someone's old in age, it's still, there's still something, and you see them suffering, and you're like, man, it's so much better to see them you know, at peace. It, and you think that. Even like right before they're going, you go, man, this is, this is better for them. This is going to be better. And, and there's something about when they actually pass, it hits like a freight train still, right? There's something that you were not anticipating coming. You go, oh. And I think what that speaks to is, we were not meant to die. There's something in us that just absolutely hates death. Now, death loses its sting because it's not the final death, and we know we live on again. Our, our loved ones are, 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 are going to be meeting with us again in eternity, spending time with Jesus in this city eventually, whatever that looks like. 
I'm inclined to think there are golf courses. I'm inclined to think that there are uh, waves to surf. I really am. Because <laughs> I was thinking, like, why would God make, he wouldn't make a lesser version of this. You know, he's not like trying to dull it all out. We picture, oh, I'm going to heaven and you like fly up on a cloud and then all of a sudden you're a baby with diapers and you're playing a harp on a cloud. Yes, heaven, this is what we've always desired. Because the things that you enjoy, who gave you the ability to, who gave you the enjoyment in them? Who created you to enjoy them? Well, that's God. So, so anyway, all that's perspective. Yes, sin, death. We're going to have to deal with those, the, the ramifications of the fact that we're in a already not yet state of Jesus conquering. Like he's, he has conquered sin and death, but we're still living in a world of sin and death. So we're going to have to deal with that. But we see it differently. He's abolished the, the reign of death and he's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. To light means so that we can see it and we can understand it. The Old Testament was like a glimpse. It was shadow figures. It's like what's to come. You know, there's a, here, here's, and, and the more you see it in the New Testament, in Jesus, the more you look at the Old Testament, you're like, oh, it made perfect sense. And we go, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, we, we always see that. Like, oh, it all makes sense now. What well, didn't make sense then? You can only see so much. I actually think that's one of the most compelling arguments for the, the truth of the Bible. It's like, Whew, you're finding these ancient writings and it is just so clearly fulfilled in the story and the person of Christ. It's amazing. I mean, it's like, how on earth do you write a story for thousands of years that perfectly uh, integrates? Love it. So uh, verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. This was Paul's calling. This is what he was called to do. What are you called to do? We either sell out, we, we sell out often because we don't enter into our callings. What are you made for? What makes you feel alive? How can you use it? Think about that. This is what Paul was called to, and he was relentless. As soon as he found it, nothing was stopping him. There was no other distractions worthy of his attention. Verse 12, for this reason, I also suffer these things. I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that last day. So he's like, I know, I know that there's stuff, but we're gonna battle, that we're gonna battle, that we're gonna suffer, but there's a goal in mind and a calling before us, and he will keep us until the end. Um, we were, uh, I, I was reading this book or actually listening to this book and it was talking about the end of the life of Dallas Willard who was, a, who was really a brilliant USC theologian or the, a USC philosopher, down, down believer. Uh, he wrote Divine Conspiracy and all these really interesting books. Uh, but at the end of his life, it, it was uh, said that he didn't take much pain meds because he was kind of like, experiencing it all and he's like i i, I want to see god in all of this by the way i don't recommend that um 
uh, but they, uh, one of his friends was there right before he passed, and they said he just looked up into heaven and he just kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and he was dying of pancreatic cancer, quite painful. You know, he's going through a lot. And he was just sitting there and he was saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. God was meeting him until the end, uh, all the way through it all. And so Paul is experiencing that. And, and even though everyone's leaving him, even though he's alone, even though he's been persecuted on persecuted on persecuted, and sometimes you're just like, am I just a, a boxing dummy? Am I a punching bag? Am I, is my whole life getting beat up? Paul probably felt like that, you know? But he's like saying, I trust that God's going to take me to the end. I suffer for the truth of the gospel. I suffer because this message is so good, I, I can't help but give it out. I, I suffer because I have a calling as a preacher and as an apostle and as a teacher. Nothing's going to stop me from doing what I'm called to do. And so I know God will meet me till the end because I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I know for me, and maybe you're like me in this sense, you're like, no, I'm not. Uh, no. <laughs> where if I feel like I know what I'm doing or like where I feel like I know God's calling me to do something, I, it's okay. <laughs> Whatever happens, happens, you know? But the, the biggest fear for me is like, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this or not. And I've got to figure that out. <laughs> like, you know, that's the, wor the worst thing. Because then you're like, am I making the right decision? Am I making the wrong decision? Is this God's will or is it not? I don't know how that all works. I think God could use different avenues and veins uh, in some sense. But when he's called you to something specifically, you know that it's, it's him. It's like, this is your deal. You're, you're, God, you've called us here. You're going to see us through. And that's one of the things when, when we came back to Carlsbad from Orange County, it was, uh, it was not a call like of, I, I just, I feel like this is a good idea. You know, I feel like it makes sense. It was like, God was very clear, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to come here. And it became very evident. And, and this, it, there's been certain times like that in life. And what's interesting is when God makes the calling really clear, a lot of times there seems to be like a, a series where it feels like the rug is pulled out from under you. And you go, what? <laughs> you told me to come here. Like, and why does it feel like everything is going wrong? And, and, but you're like, but I'm pretty, but you told me to come. So I'm here and by the way, I don't have enough money to go anywhere else anymore. So, like, I am stuck here at this point. And, and it's amazing. It's like he gives the calling. He gives the purpose. And then all of a sudden, all the other stuff comes in. And it's like he, he, he patiently wants to see us grow and, and realize and recognize, you know what? Trust me. If I called you, I'll be faithful to bring you through. You know, the beautiful thing about that is God has done that and he continues to do that. And, and it's been experienced on many different tiers of life, different parts of life. But the best part about experiencing that is being able to reassure someone else, if God has called you to it, he will be with you. There's an old Calvary Chapel saying where God guides, he provides. But um, it's also important to note 
God's timing is different than your timing. And provision looks different than you might think it looks. But it's recognizing, God, I'm called to this. And, and, and that is, I think, even, I think the greatest benefit is you're aligned with God. You're doing what you're created to do. You're doing things that will have eternal value, eternal fruit. Life will, uh, you will be, there will be reward for this kind of life. That's like the greatest thing. I think the next greatest thing is, God, you called me to do it, so all these problems are actually your problems. You're going to use me to fix them, but I do not know all of this, and you've called me to do it, and I'm going to do what I can do. But you've called me here, so you're going to have to either send someone to help me, (laughs) or you're going to have to show me how to do it. I don't know. But you've called me into this season. You've equipped me, and you'll be faithful to the end. That's what Paul's saying. The end of his life, he's going to be with me till the end. He's going to be faithful to the end. And we all look at Paul and we're like, what a life lived. Well, you know what? It's not a life lived if he doesn't have this kind of mentality. It's not a life lived if he doesn't think like this, if he doesn't live like this. If he doesn't give his all, we just go, oh, Paul, nominal Christian. Wait, who? We would never know who he even was. He might be a footnote of these people who walked with God and then their God became their belly. And then they walked away. It's like, ah, yeah, He followed God until he had bigger desires and decided to follow them. So renew the calling. Remember the calling. Think about what has God called you to do and how has he called you to do it? Why are you here? What makes each person here? I wish I could say all your names right now because that makes it really impactful, right? You're seeing how it personalizes. We're uh, talking about in my class about how communion, the Lord's Supper, where you, you give, give it to the person and you say, this is the body and blood of Jesus shed for you. And you look them in the eyes. And the, one of the pastors was saying how they like break, people break down. Because it's, like it's not like this big over, it's like for you, your name. What is you, your name called to? And how are you going to take the steps into that? What, what steps do you take to go, I'm going to start following, I'm going to start listening, I'm going to start disciplining myself to go after you, Lord, what you want me to do. And, and to then experience fulfillment. Because it's like, yeah, you could gain the whole world, but if you lose your soul, it's not worth anything. So God's calling us in so that we can then go out to do the things he's created to do. Because you all are specifically unique. It's one of the cool things about our, our um, marriage group right? We get to talk. Everyone's coming from a different spot, but everyone has similar battles in one way or another. So we all add to the equation for each other. Our softball team, everyone's different. (laughs) Some people are fast and they're like, you get on base, you run. Fast guys, don't try and hit a home run. Willie Mays Hayes style, you know? Like, this is not, this is not what you're supposed to do. Some guys, they hit home. That's good. Don't try and bunt, you know? This isn't, you can't bunt in softball anyway, but it's, it's finding out who am I, where do I fit, and then becoming the best version of that possible, giving everything you have. Because we, we, we'll, we'll do that with our health. We'll do that with our, you know, our, you know how, how we approach financial decisions. We could do that with all kinds of different things. But how do we do that? Lord, what are you calling me to do specifically? And then go from there. Lord, we thank you so much for the calling you have on us that you genuinely care about us, that you genuinely want um, 
us to, to walk in what you've called us